How's it going, everybody? It is yet another Montreal Canadiens loss that we have to talk about, but it's okay because my Game Over mug came in. So, got that going for me, which is nice. We got some excellent guests on the show tonight. We've got Paul Campbell from In Goal Magazine, so we're probably going to have a bit of a goalie-heavy show. And Shana Goldman from uh, everywhere. Uh, she's on Sportsnet, The Athletic, McKean's Hockey, Hockey Graphs. She's amazing. So let's welcome both in right now. How's it going, folks? Good. Pretty good. Thanks for having us. And then okay. intro. I need to like save these. Like, you know, you have a bad day, just play them. <laughs> I mean, it's all right, right? And I got I got the new facial hair trying to help uh, Jeff Petrie out a little bit. It's tribute to Jeff Petrie. It actually looks more like Wendell Clark, though, unfortunately. I, yeah. I sent it to uh, Dangle before the game, and he was like, yeah, that's the Wendell. So, you unfortunate. You need to drive a protractor into your eye, Andrew. What? You need to drive a protractor into your eye. And that would have been like the Petrie sort of channeling you need. Yeah, to get the red, the red in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. get one and then let it be so painful that you bought the other. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm actually like double close to Jeff Petrie because I, I hurt my finger earlier today. Oh. So, you know. <laughs> okay, I, get I'm, on the ice. Let's see what, we, what you can do. Uh, probably not much. Maybe skate about as fast as like Douglas Murray. If I'm if I'm lucky, if I get somebody pushing behind me. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's about all I can do to help this Montreal Canadiens team at the moment. Uh, I thought it was another game where like, there were some fits and starts for the Canadians. They had some moments where they looked all right. But I think when you watch the Rangers game in and game out, like Adam Fox is amazing, right? But when Adam Fox can play a team that doesn't have a defenseman on the other side that can do anything close to what Adam Fox can do, it's like a cheat code and both games against the Rangers this season. Like he is just run roughshod over them. It's incredible to watch. He's he does that against everyone. He literally does. And it's like, it's funny when the Norris discussion went on last year because there were some who were like, Oh, he's not good enough to win it midway through because he wasn't scoring as much. And it's like, what are you watching? Because, you know, it, it was literally 10 games into his career. You're like, actually this player is something special, even though he doesn't have the points. And then the more he did, the more you're like, okay, he's really good on both ends of the puck because you knew he would be offensively, but you didn't know if there'd be an adjustment defensively because he's coming to a terrible team. Like every single defenseman that comes to New York, no matter how good you are, struggles. So why would the player coming from, you know, the college level all of a sudden be like amazing? And he is. So yeah, it's, it's every game and he just keeps getting better. And you're like, oh, okay, this is a thing now. Like every game you're going to watch him do something amazing on both sides of the ice. So, I mean, it's fun, but it definitely sucks for every opponent. But now like, they do know to look for him. That's like the biggest change. Yeah. Although like, would you say he's even better this year? Cause he, to my eye, like I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of the Rangers last year, just cause of the way the divisional format was, but to my eye, he looks like he's taking another step this year. Yeah. I think, I think some of it's coaching though, because it does feel like Gallant and Quinn differ because Quinn was a very play it safe. And it's not like he told Adam Fox to play it safe. He still did everything he did and was outstanding last year. But with Galan, it does seem like a player like Panarin and a player like Fox. It's you're not hearing, Oh, play your North South game. It's like, you don't need to tell those players not to like go off. And you see him taking some gutsier moves. And to an extent, it's like, he has to, because Panarin wasn't going to start the season. And Zibanejad wasn't, you know, as strong, not compared to like compared to last year, it's like night and day. But I mean, like, you know, to his, peak level 
So maybe he felt he could a little bit more. Um, there are some things that aren't as strong as last year. And you could see like his on ice numbers against with lingering aren't where they were last year, but I think that's, you know, a team wide issue and it's not just on him. There's definite ways you can see him stepping up and the confidence factor, you know, just another year of experience. And now I think he has a little bit more room to just go do everything that he's done. Yeah. It's honestly, he's such a joy to watch. Like it's, it's incredible. I mean, I think also watching Canadians games every night so far this season, it's uh, to watch a defenseman skate the puck up the ice. It's a joy you know, to move the puck efficiently, join the rush. I mean, not to besmirch Ben Sherratt, who has joined the rush pretty efficiently this year, but unexpected. I have to take some exception to what you said there earlier, because, you know, um, Fox is fantastic, but to say there's no one on the Canadians who can do that. That's a real insult to Ben Sherratt and what he's been trying to do for the last few games. I saw him lumber up the ice seven or eight times tonight. And, you know, he, he made some progress. It's like a guy running through a line of um, kids playing Red Rover. And he's just going to bull through as hard as he can and maybe make it close to the net. And so I, I admire that. He's leading into that role. Um, he's trying. Yeah. That, he's that, trying that, so hard. Like, you can't really take that is. away. What That's do coaches the thing. care about? That's the thing about Sherratt is like, I've kind of been pushing the idea this year that I think he's a significantly better player when he plays like this, as opposed to when he does the, like, I'm going to smash people in front of the net thing. I think that he brings more to the table when he's trying to bowl through players and join the four check. And he's just so big and so strong that sometimes it's so unexpected that he would do that. It seems like opposing teams are like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Why is this guy joining the rush? And I've kind of said that the last few shows, but I think that he actually brings something to the table that way. I think he's been really strong so far this year, which has shocked me because my opinion of Sherratt the last few years is he's one of the worst players in the league. He's just been carried by Shea Weber. So the fact that he's actually bringing something positive to the table is one of the few bits of good news for the Montreal Canadiens. And we're going to talk about more positive things about the Canadians, specifically Caden Primo. But first, I want to touch on, because it's been pointed out in the comments a few times here, the end of the game with Brendan Gallagher and, I guess, to a lesser extent, Josh Anderson. I think it's very clear, based on the last couple of games, that Brendan Gallagher is at his wit's end right now. Like, he is so, so frustrated with the way that things are going. But Barclay Goodrow sold that so hard. And I, it, you can't help but respect it, because... I it's very rare you see a player get like cold cock kind of thing, right? And it was a gloved punch <laughs> in like the neck shoulder area, and all the announcers were like, Oh, it was in the face. Not really. But he held his face on the way down, of course. And then there's a still that I actually retweeted that somebody sent me of Goodrow, and he's like on the ice with his hands over his face, and he's looking <laughs> out his hands like, uh, did they get him? Did they get him? Did he get a penalty? And it's like Respect the sell and the agitation to get Gallagher to do it, but man, oh man, the the fact that he like joined back in and started like trying to fight and stuff is like you're not angry. <laughs> oh, Don't you're pretend not, you're, you're angry. Not yeah, no, I think that's it's like it's a dickish move if you're like, can I say that? Can I curse? That yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, good. Um, so it's a dickish move. You're gonna punch someone in the face no matter what, or even attempt to. You might miss. You might try something. Like you're not trying to be a nice guy out there. So like, if you want to be dramatic about it, it's the end of the game, like go off, whatever you're trying to drop a penalty. Like that's a good thing for the Rangers. Cause then they don't have to try to cl close out the final, you know, minutes of the game that they are not very good at doing, but like, this is a team it's, it's like the irony of it is like, this is a team that's told to be tougher. So it's like, is that okay? Like, that's my one question to be like, are, is, are you 
will your coach give you shit after the game for doing that? Because you're supposed to be so tough, which is why obviously everyone jumps into it. And then everything happens with true at the end of the game. And everybody has something to prove this year. But um, yeah, just, it, it was a little bit much. It was a little bit dramatic, but like, I guess I understand like, if you're like, well, that was unprovoked, even though it probably wasn't like nothing, nothing truly is unprovoked, no, you know, no. like if yeah. it is, we're all, you know, up in arms yelling about it, but yeah, I don't know if it, it was just, a little bit of, you know, they want to add some spice to the game, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you look at Gallagher and you look at Anderson and it's desperation, right? And of course, yeah, it's a dick move to punch somebody in the face, gloved or ungloved, especially when they're not like consenting to a fight, right? Even if they're bugging you. But like you can see it plain as day on the Canadians. They're just looking for any kind of spark at this moment, right? It's they'll do whatever and for the most part of the season, that hasn't even been there. Like the frustration has been surprisingly low with how often they've been losing and like how badly they've been losing a lot of the time. It seems like they haven't had the willingness to push things at the end of games. So like, I guess from that perspective, getting the fans could see the positive of it, but you never want to see a guy who's a leader on a team take himself out of the game when you're only trailing by one. Yeah, like the, the fight, um, you know, um, really early on, that fight was the right kind of thing, even though it was equally ill-conceived. At least it wasn't going to take a you know a really valuable player off the ice with uh, thirty seconds to go, right? Um, he was going to get his um, he was going to get his lunch fed to him, obviously. But you know there was a there was an attempt, right? It was a good attempt, nice try. You know you're you're new in the league, you're going to do something to, to to really shake this team up. Maybe uh, that's the sort of thing, right? Not you know losing your cool with a with a minute left or a half a minute left. And uh, sort of letting letting the team down, in, in essence. I mean, it wasn't much of a shot that he gave, but the fact that he was goaded into it um, and he was able to be goaded into, you know, something that he's, he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt ever. No. So as soon as he throws a fist and someone doesn't throw one back, he's going to get penalized. And, you know, he, he needs to know that. So I understand the frustration, but that move at that time is just pure. And it's pure frustration. I mean, it's not leadership. It's not anything else. It's just uh, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. And here, here this comes. Yeah, it's like the the type of frustration where you start to make selfish moves. And like even if Goudreau, Goudreau did sell it, which in my opinion he 100% did, it's still a penalty. Like yeah. it's there's no getting around that. You can't do that at any point in the game and really get away with it. Like you got to be really sneaky and one thing about Gallagher is he's not very sneaky. He has lots of positive <laughs> attributes, but sneakiness is not really that high on the list. Yeah. And it just, it's the timing of it. Like you both mentioned, like you're playing a team that sucks at the end of the game. You're playing a team that goes, tries to go into a defensive shot and doesn't do it very well. You know, this is a team that has blown third period leads multiple times in, you know, their recent stretch of games or uh, against the Panthers. They almost blew the lead. Like you're playing a team that's super vulnerable to it because they're going to rely on their goaltender and the shot tie did turn in Montreal's favor. If they kept pushing at it, there's a good chance like, this game would have went to overtime. Maybe it wouldn't have, but at least you would have given it your all in the second, you know, you take a penalty or do something that might put you in a position that could give you, you know, put you in the box and now put you down like a man. You're really hurting your chances, especially in this matchup because the entire game could have been different. If it was another, literally another 30 seconds of pressure on the Rangers, given like what we've seen about that team this year. Absolutely. And I know like Paul, you mentioned, I, I don't remember if it was in DMS or just straight up, uh, mentioned to me on Twitter that Shesterkin was a little bit off his game tonight as well. So the Canadians kind of yeah. failed to pounce on that. 
the, the number of shots the Canadians had sort of belied. I, I haven't checked their XG or anything, but it looks like it looked like tonight. Uh, I was expecting, and I started off taking notes saying, "Oh yeah, it's just Durkin, you know, normal." And I was comparing him to Primo, uh, sort of to get a sense of both their games, right, or to give a sense of both their games if we were talking about that tonight. And uh, Shesterkin is powerful. He's really confident on the puck. He's really solid on his skates. I mean, uh, but tonight uh, he was vulnerable and he was not tested like he can be, like, like the Canadians could test him, like the Rangers. The, the announcers kept saying, well, the Rangers, they give you chances. So the Canadians are going to have a chance to get back into this. And I kept watching and they got a couple of chances. They got a couple of decent shots. They scored on a couple of their decent shots. But as the third went on, I had no sense that the Habs were mounting a significant attack. Like the, the shot tide turned, but the shot quality tide didn't seem to change very much. And Chesterkin, uh, on that second goal, he gave up that boot break rebound sort of right back in front. And that was a little bit sluggish. It was, a, it was a quick play, but it was a bit sluggish for him to get back to the post. And the Canadians just weren't exposing what for him was probably not as good a night. And it's like they just couldn't. They just didn't have the, uh, the firepower. They, did, they couldn't mount the sustained pressure. Um, until maybe the very, very end, and then sort of they they uh, piss that away. I mean, the Canadians not having the firepower, Paul. What a hot take! That's not something we haven't been talking about for five or six seasons. We need uh, we need Stefan Richet back. Uh, I believe he's the last fifty goal scorer that the Canadians uh, had uh, in, a, in a great era for for goal scorers. So just some someone like that, you know, so, someone who can really easy, easy thing to get. It's, it should be no problem. I thought we already had it. I mean, I thought once Caulfield came up, I, I thought, you know, all the problems at goal scoring would be answered. I, I expected him to get 50 this year. Uh, Suzuki maybe to cash on 35 or 40. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Canadians are set. But sadly, it hasn't worked out that way. Yes, unfortunate uh, the Canadians don't seem to be able to just plug a hole and put in one goal scorer and fix all their problems. Although I guess... To be fair, Caulfield and Hoffman were supposed to help address that a little bit this year, but Caulfield's in the American Hockey League and Hoffman's on the injured reserve again. So unfortunate, as with so many things for this Canadian season, but let's talk about something for the Canadians that's a bit of a positive spin, and that was the play of Caden Primo tonight. And I know, Paul, you didn't like his read on the first, I think it was the first goal. Uh, but other than that, pretty strong game from Caden Primo. Yeah. Um, so when I saw him previously and Mike Vini on Twitter was talking about this throughout the night. And usually, uh, as I said to him, I find body language talk really overblown most of the time, especially with goalies. Right. What is the goalie? He's one of two things. He looks shaky. He, well, and, and he's fighting it or he's calm, cool and collected, or as they often say, collective. I don't know. But that's the that's the two modes a goaltender can be in. And Whenever we've seen Primo in the past, he's looked utterly terrified. He, uh, he looks he, uh, literally like standing very still, shoulders slightly hunched, legs together, not moving at all in between whistles, just standing in the center of his crease on, on the crossbar. And it, it just, it was weird. It was weird to see. So tonight I wasn't expecting much. I was hoping to see like Price versus Desturkin earlier in the season when I thought, oh, I'll go in this podcast. This is going to be fantastic. Obviously that didn't happen, but uh, to see... Primo being an NHL goalie tonight was really refreshing. It's like, um, I mean, he wasn't fantastic, uh, but he was quite good. Uh, I don't love his game, but I loved how he played tonight. And that's a real step forward for him and something that Canadians fans can get excited about in a season when uh, the goaltending and other things haven't been all that exciting. 
Yeah, I think I and looked at the the sorry, Shana. I looked at the the uh, expected goals on uh, natural stat trick, and it was like two point six to three point three in favor of the Rangers. So not too different from the actual scoreline in the end. But I think one thing that I noticed during the game was that uh, anytime the Canadians uh, like created some pressure, oftentimes the Rangers were coming back on like the turnaround and getting a much better, higher quality chance. So I wonder if some of that stuff was a little bit not fully encapsulated based on the XG tonight, because I mean, Philip Hedl alone had like five high danger scoring chances tonight, in my opinion. Yep. It's, it's, it's funny too, because that is not how the Rangers generally play at all this season, you know, and tonight they bring that out, but like Hedl came back and he looked great. And that's something that he is very good at is creating those high quality chances. And I honestly didn't think he would coming back, you know, the first game from an upper body injury that is like a suspected concussion, um, but you had him going up against that, that Ranger second line, which was, um, Panarin, Strom and Kako. They've been okay to start the year. And then you see them starting to trend in the right direction after this weekend. And they were really clicking tonight and trying like different passing plays and rush attempts. And, you know, there were these high quality chances and he looked good up against them. So I think that was impressive. And then you have someone like Chris Kreider who like, yes, he did score, but you know, he it's coming off a Royal World pass from Mika's vantage out and no look pass. That's a tough one. But he still had, I think for Kreider at five and five, he had eight attempts and three of them were high danger. So like the fact that he was facing that and he played so well, that it's a good sign. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Something something that's gonna skew your XG too um in the in the public data is the failure to account for Royal Royal Road passes or any any real passing. Um also a failure to account for um, multiple saves uh, in a sequence. Uh, and so the Primo was doing tonight because he had to, was making multiple saves. So before he was properly even set for the second shot, the second shot would come and, he, and he'd have to save it. Um, Shesterkin didn't have to do that very often tonight at all. So I think if you had a more fine grain XG, you'd see that it, it might've been even two to like, you know, double for the, um, for the Rangers over the Canadians, not based on volume, but, but based purely on the kind of quality and intensity of the, of the uh, shot sequences they were getting. Yeah, I think that that would check out to me. I'd love to see what ClearSight Analytics had for that kind of game because they're very focused on the the passing situations for focusing on goalies. I thought that uh, the Jake Evans, Yoel Armia, Arturi Lekkinen line had another strong game tonight, but I feel like this is kind of one of the issues with the Canadians is you you have that line and you have the Pazetta Belzeal line that really dominate territorially, but there's just not enough scoring talent on those lines to get anything accomplished. So the Canadians end up looking decent in terms of control of play metrics, but their top players are the ones who keep on getting railroaded, right? Like uh, Christian Dvorak mm -hmm. was the worst forward on the ice tonight with, uh, I think, 41% Corsi. So that's just how it continues to be for the Montreal Canadiens. And Dvorak, I thought, offensively, at his best game of the year. Um, he, he's, uh, he seems to not be there at all. Like you, you don't hear about him. You don't notice him until something, something happens. Oh, he scored. Oh, oh, he got an assist. That's, that's good. But um, the, the rest of the time, I mean, that, that um, you know, the 40% course, he, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because if he's on the puck and he's driving play, you're hearing his name, right? You're, you're, you're noticing him do things. Uh, early on, it was like Suzuki, 
was the only, if anything exciting were happening in the Ranger Sand, Suzuki was doing it, right? Later on, Jurain got into that in the second period. He would hit a stronger period and he was uh, generating some, some exciting chances. Uh, but past that, I thought um, uh, uh, it was Belzile. He had flashes of offensive potency tonight. A couple of times he got the buck and I thought, who is, oh, interesting. You know, maybe something's going to happen. Maybe he's going to, and he, he, he was able to generate a bit, but he doesn't have um, the kind of support, I think, on that line that's going to allow him to be like, you know, the, um, the sniper or playmaker, right? He's, it's going to be very unlikely for him to, you know, to actually convert on a chance based on his supporting cast. And uh, it was just a couple of flashes, but um, the Habs have some, what's the word? There's some flashes of, gr- not greatness, but potential, right, yes. in, in some of these guys. And it just isn't realized very often, um, uh, which is which is sad. It's just like, it's like they can put pieces together, but they can't form them all into a whole. Yeah, that's kind of been the story of the last several seasons and why they're just not a very good regular season team. And despite despite the fact that they had that incredible run in last year's playoffs, I feel like the takeaway for most people should be that they're on the cusp of if there were no COVID rules, missing the playoffs for five straight years. Like that's essentially what this team is. And as bad as it is to start this year, I think we all know that they're not quite this bad, but they're a team that's consistently on the low end of mediocre. And at a certain point you start having to ask questions of like, how are they going to get out of this situation without high end draft picks? Maybe this year they're going to get one, so that might be the first step. But I feel like they've got to look to a team like the Rangers, who made the tough choice to put it out there on social media that they were going to do a rebuild. (laughs) And I think some people would probably argue that the Rangers stopped that process a little bit early, but you can see the pieces that they've added. And you add in, like, obviously the Panarin thing is a huge deal and absolutely destroying that Zibanejad trade. Like, looking back on that one is a rough one for Ottawa. So like there's things that went really well for them, but to actually say that you're willing to do the rebuild is a big deal. And I think the Canadians have been hesitant to ever do that for whatever reason. I think the other thing too, though, is if you're willing to rebuild, you can't, you have to look at the good and bad teams that do it. And that might scare you away. A team like Buffalo that keeps, you know, finding themselves in it, but like the Rangers are a tough model to follow because they got super lucky and I'm Mm. not trying to, take away things that they did. The Mika's Bandera trade, they were not even a rebuilding team. They were rebuilding on the fly or retooling. And that was their move to get younger. And it worked out that they were willing to pay a signing bonus and, you know, get a draft pick out of it. And that draft pick was used to flip a player while they were still in like playoff mode to an extent. Um, They got so lucky. Adam Fox wanted to be a Ranger and so lucky. Artemi Panarin wanted to be a Ranger, you know, as much as it was, and that Ryan Spooner was bought out. So they had X amount of cap savings because that gave them that like unlock that last amount because they were up against a wall because of bad contracts from over the years. So, you know, and then winning the picks, the first overall pick and the second overall pick, that was incredibly lucky. And, you know, you can look at the flip side of it and be like, well, you know, their first and second overall picks haven't been the impact players. Maybe you'd expect from players drafted in that position, but at the end of the day, they got them because they were super lucky. And, you know, for a team like Montreal, like I look at it, the year that they got into the playoffs for the bubble, you know, they expanded it and Chicago and Montreal did get in. Do you think it would have helped them to just miss the playoffs, get a high pick and, you know, kind of have that reality check of like, maybe we aren't that good, even though we did win this series here. Like 
just ending the season and recognizing like, Hey, we're not that good. Let's get planning on next year in the future. Like would that have helped them more? Do you think? I think it definitely would have. And I think it also would have gone a long way towards like correcting their poor evaluation of what makes them successful. But at the same time, I feel like if you'd ask most Canadian fans, would you like delete last year's cup run to get like a second overall pick or something? They'd probably say no, because even though they didn't win, it's it's still something special, right? I mean, yeah, I'm sure Rangers fans probably feel similarly about their. They were under the Stanley Cup final twice, didn't they? Once against the Kings and once against. No, they once. Yeah, they lost in the Eastern Conference final to the Devils in 2012. And then the Devils lost to the Kings in the cup. And then they went to the cup um, the next year. And then they lost the following year in the Eastern Conference finals to Tampa Bay, who went on to lose to Chicago. Okay, so, yeah, they had a really strong period there. And even thanks to like, Henrik Lundqvist only, though. Yes, this is true. <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of the funny thing about these two teams, right? Is that at the end mm-hmm. of these two Hall of Fame goaltenders' careers, they're probably going to end up with, well, they had a good stretch but didn't win anything, right? Like you could argue the two best goaltenders of their era, if you like put Luongo in the last era, which is kind of sidelining Luongo a little bit too much, but they're yeah. like the top two from like the post. 2005 lockout we'll say mm-hmm. uh both those guys having no nhl like championship it's like unfathomable yeah when you look at like the two decades before that where like money goaltenders were the big thing yeah and if you go closer to into like their actual cup run you know henrik lundquist was unbelievable in 2014 and it literally didn't matter because that team that team had no business going as far as they did. They did not have the goal scores. They did not have, you know, enough forward talent and their defense relied on Hank to save the day every day, you know, and then the following year, it was the same story. They didn't do enough to bolster their forward depth and maybe how they made it to the cup final, maybe how they made it past game seven against Chicago. I mean, sorry, game seven against Tampa to take on Chicago could have been different because you never know, you know, a couple of lucky bounces and Lunk was being amazing could have changed something. But at the end of the day, it didn't. And it's something that could have been foreseen. It's lucky they made it as far as they did, but you didn't do enough. And now he ends his career without that. And the same goes for Price. You know, you could only go so far. We we need to see goalies just start moving up the ice and be like, you know what? I'm going to score this one. We need more goalie goals. Like, <laughs> at least get to center ice once in a while. I get it if they don't want to hit the offensive zone. But they need to do something to stand up for themselves because these teams are not helping them. Shosturkin seems to me like a pretty good candidate. I saw him play the yes. puck in the first period. He's a great puck handler, which is a really underestimated, underrated part of his game. He fired a pass up to center rice and almost set someone up for a, for a break. I thought, okay, he's doing yeah. it. He, um, he is going to get, he is going to get one in his career. He already seems like he wants to is the thing. Like you yeah. see the way he clears the puck too at the end of the game. You're like, okay. Like he, that's something Lundqvist wasn't great at was handling the puck. And just not only is good at it, he's bold enough and ballsy enough to be like, yeah. I'm trying it. I'm getting that goalie goal. He's, he's so much fun to watch. Part of the, actually, a lot of the reason that I, I signed up for this game specifically was so that I would have an excuse to sit and just really watch him for an hour. <laughs> and it wasn't, a, he wasn't, I should have known he wouldn't be tested as much or, you know, he wouldn't have as much to do, but he's so good. Um, that's also what uh, tonight was a really clear example of where the Canadians and Rangers who met in that uh, 2014 um, uh, playoff run. And um, so with the Rangers right now, at one point they said, we're going to look at the future, right? 
We're, um, so retool, rebuild, rebuild on the fly, whatever, right? They're at least and then tear it down. Yeah. Then they were like, oh, that doesn't work. They're looking forward and they're thinking, okay, this isn't good enough, right? We need to think about what we're going to do in the upcoming years. So um, what do they do in goal? Well, they have possibly the best goaltender in hockey right now, who's, um, who's you know, still relatively young. This will be his 26-year-old year. In um, Montreal, in, in their net, had Caden Primo, right? He's much younger, but clearly the Habs organization did not take a look into the future um, after their Hall of Fame goaltender, right? They're like, well, we're just going to, you know, have Carey Price in goal forever. And it doesn't really matter what happens, right? It doesn't really matter. I mean, they could, they, they didn't give him a, a good backup until Jake Allen, right? And, but really, by the time they got Jake Allen, it was almost time to be like, you know, it was certainly time to be looking at the next Carey Price, right? Yes. How are we going to acquire a franchise goaltender? Even, I mean, it doesn't have to be Carey Price, uh, just someone who's able to shoulder this load, right? Hopefully develop from within. And the Habs did not do that. And it's emblematic of their entire, the entire divergence between the Rangers and Canadians after that time. The Rangers looked forward and the Canadians just stared at their belly buttons as hard as they could and decided this is, this is what we're going to do. We have to make this core, this team work. However, we have to you know, keep carry. We have to make Shea work somehow. We have to make him healthy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it, it seems like that's been the organizational uh, philosophical difference. That's, that's made the difference. Yeah. Popsicle yeah. sticks and bubble gum to keep everything together. That's basically been the modus operandi. I think you could argue that the Canadians tried to look for a goaltender of the future when they drafted Zach Fakali, but I think you could also argue that that was bad drafting because there were a lot of warning signs around Zach Fakali that he was not a great goaltender coming out of junior. So I know that his dad was on Montreal radio this week after he got his first career start and first career shutout in a 22 save effort saying Canadians bungled him. And that could also be true. Their track record with development is awful, but I think that he was not the high end prospect that the Canadians believed he was. And I remember that draft was one where I believe the Canadians had like four second round picks. And the only one that they made out of it was Arturi Lekkanen. Mm-hmm. It was the and same draft. I believe that they drafted Mike McCarron first in the first round. I remember just like Le- burying my head in my hands. Not as bad Lekanen. as the worst moment I've ever had at a draft when I was a Canadians fan was I got to go to the 2014 draft in person. And I've told this story before. The Canadians traded up. I think it was in the third round. And I was 100% convinced that they were going to draft Braden Point. Because the Canadians love those mid-round picks, the undersized guys with a lot of offense, the Brendan Gallagher's, you know, they love making those picks. But they go up to the podium and they trade it up to not draft Braden Point, but to draft Brett Lernout. Big, hulking defenseman who barely played in the show. And uh, that uh, young Andrew was very devastated at that moment. And I think that was like the beginning of the end for like the, tr- the path towards being like a, away from being a super fan and being more objective. Because it's just like, how many times can you get your heart broken? Well, to the one credit, though, about the drafting goalie thing, like the Rangers do shoot their shot a lot with that. Like that is one thing. Every draft, you know, they're picking at least one goaltender. You're like, all right, where like even if it's just like it feels like they're taking a flyer sometime, but like they do have Benoit Lair and it does give them that advantage of knowing who to draft or you can bring in, you know, it's like. I, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like it's like a game for him. Like, what goalie are you bringing into it? Like, wh- who's your project? You know, starting with Cam Talbot and then it was um, Antti Ranta and Andre Pavlik. And you see the goalies coming and going. The one thing that they might have screwed up with just a bit is Georgiev, because 
everything said trade him like you did the prior goaltenders, you knew you had Chesterkin. You knew you had an impending three goalie situation. And you knew that you could bring in probably any other backup and make them work. Um, and they didn't because they did overvalue him a bit. Now you see, you know, his value has obviously dropped and things have changed. And, you know, it's not to say that he's a bad goaltender. He was like a diamond in the rough. It felt like when they found him of someone that he really did make work. But it's it's knowing when to move on. That's like the biggest thing that I think the Rangers have like screwed up with along the, you know, over the, over their rebuild, even is sometimes like knowing when to move a piece and when not to. And that's something, you know, if a team like Montreal ever does attempt it, that's going to be one of the harder things for them as well. So it's figuring out like when, when to sell high, because, you know, everyone wants to look at it and be like, well, look, they'll get hotter. They can go higher too. So that's like the one challenge there. Yeah, that's like the thing with most prospects, right, is most prospects don't actually become impact players. So you do have to make choices. And I remember, like, weren't the Leafs super interested in Georgiev? Yeah, like they were like first round pick serious. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know, though, which which side, if it was the Rangers hesitancy, looking at it like we're going to have to play him a lot in the playoffs in the future, because, you know, when you saw the two up and coming teams, there was that potential. I don't know if that scared them off. I don't know if they wanted more for him. I don't know if the Leafs were offering enough because, you know, that was a playoff team and their first round pick wouldn't have been as low as others. But yeah, there were teams. It seemed like San Jose would have been a really good fit for him too, because if anything, they could have used someone who was cheap and young. The two things they didn't have on that entire team, you know, all those years was cheap guys and young guys. And there you have it in the goaltender, which they also needed because their crease was, you know, Martin Jones, Martin Jones. (laughs) Who's having a fantastic season, by the way. Who the hell would have thought? I, I'm sorry. In Philly, of all places, uh, behind an Elaine Vigneault team, I know coaches change and evolve and whatever, but he relies on his goaltenders and runs them into the ground. So yeah. I'm shocked. It's like Martin Jones having a crazy season and Sergei Bobrovsky having a crazy season. You're like, what is going Like, I always push back on the idea that goalies are voodoo, but this season is is breaking me a little bit. And, and the other is uh, Frederick Anderson. You know, like yes. I, I think it was the first week of November, I was going through like goalie quality starts and steal. So if they had a quality start, their goal saved above expected was above zero. And if they had a steal, the, their goal saved above expected was greater than the goal differential of the game. And, you know, Chesterkin's up there now. I think he has nine quality. I'm sorry. He has nine quality starts now and five steals. I think it is. Because tonight counted as a quality start. Frederick Anderson and Sergey Bobrovsky are like right up there leading the way. And even Jack Campbell was doing well. And it's like, oh, okay, it's a little different. Wouldn't expect, especially the Panthers doing so well, you'd see Bobrovsky like, you know, leading the way or even Frederick Anderson because you would think they have a little bit more support up front. You know, there's deeper teams, but I mean, good for them. One of the big problems with goalie evaluation. Um, so you evaluate the, you know, your team's offensive depth, right? You evaluate your team's offensive potency, your, their defensive prowess, right? As a, as a whole. So you have one guy having a bad season or a start, then, you know, someone else is sort of as bad in the middle, but the first guy's better at the beginning. When you're talking about goaltending, you're talking about one dude and maybe like <laughs> half another dude, right? Yeah. So if one guy has like, you know, athlete's foot for a month, well, that, I mean, that he, he kind of sucks, right? Uh, if one guy is, is having like, you know, Pekka Rinne had a, had a, 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 got dumped at one point, right? Well, yeah. it affected him. And when it's one person, right, who is like the whole position, your entire goaltending, you know, department, right, is one guy, right, or one and a half people. 
um, that's going to be really uh, susceptible to, you know, changes that have nothing to do necessarily with what's happening on the ice, right? Um, it's, it's, it's easier and, and maybe better to look at ceilings, right? When you're talking about, well, Bobrovsky, yeah, he could come back. We expected it last year, it didn't happen. Expected the year before, well, it didn't really happen either. But it shouldn't be shocking that he came back and now he's good again, right? He never got bad, uh, but whatever was happening in Florida, right? Um, it, it, it wasn't working for him. So while I, while I agree, this seems like, you know, even more voodoo, uh, the variability for a single person, right, is going to be a lot higher than the variability of like an offensive core or defensive core. So some of this volatility in goaltending is, you know, is that it's personal, right, which, uh, which is vexing, but it's, it's the nature of the thing. I feel like we also, we're, we're lacking inputs in how we evaluate goaltenders, right? Like with yeah. skaters, we can look at like, they're getting shots. Are they quality shots? Like if a goaltender is making saves, are they quality saves? It's going to get there eventually, but until we can actually quantify like how a goaltender's efficiency of movement, right? Yes. Like when yes. you're making a save, are you making it with your chest or are you reaching, right? Are you in position to make the save or are you reacting? I feel like once we get to that point, we'll have a lot more figured out about which goal, which goaltenders are playing well, which ones are, playing not so well, but maybe getting lucky and kind of like people love watching Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Mm -hmm. And Marc-Andre Fleury, I find as a guy who's always reaching to make saves. So to yeah, me, yeah. not a great goaltender has played on some great defensive teams. That's allowed him to have some decent numbers, but throughout his career, I would argue that he's like a mid tier guy who's played a lot of games. Whereas guys like Henrik Lundqvist, you look at it, it's like 80% of the shots are going straight into the crest. And you're like, yeah, you're efficient. You're flawless. You're doing everything the right way. And Henrik Lundqvist might be less entertaining to watch because of that, which is kind of the annoying thing about goaltending, right? You look at like mm -hmm. the 1990s and the 1980s and it's everybody flashing leather and two pad stacks and it looks amazing, but the actual performances are not that good. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And like, it's, I think too, like we can quantify a player's abilities and group it with their playing style so much easier. We know this player is a playmaker, so maybe they're not individually taking the shots themselves, but we can look at what the team does while they're on the ice. And if they have an 80% expected goal share, that's a crazy number, but still like something like that, like, you know, they're doing something, even if the puck's not coming off their stick, they're contributing somehow and you can group it together. Goaltending is so much more, it's tougher. You can't be like, well, they're a stand-up goalie. Like until you have a little bit more information to break that down and it's the one position that you see there's like a hesitance uh, or less understanding that we hear save percentage and goals against that. You know, those are the only stats you hear thrown around when you talk about a forward, you might hear, well, they actually, attempted, wins. you know, wins. Oh my <laughs> the God. <worst> one. <laughs> the worst one. It's so bad. Like, you know, it, for, if you're fantasy, you're playing fantasy sports, that's all you're working with or shutouts. You're hoping your goaltender has a shutout. You might get one out of both of you from all three of your, you know, three goaltenders per team. And there's going to be one per week. Like that sucks. You, you need to be talking about it in a better way in a deeper way. So at least we're getting there with skaters. Cause you might hear that someone had five high danger scoring chances. That's progress. Or, you know, they look like they were entering the zone really cleanly tonight. That's something too. Goaltending, you don't hear that. It's no. you might hear like quality shots, but it's just someone looking at it being like, yeah, they looked good or flurry. Like you mentioned, He's always standing out in the playoffs and making these unbelievable shots, but it's like, why is he in the position to do so sometimes? 
Is it that he overdid it, you know, one direction? Now he's flying across the crease the other. And of course, this is going to be this highlight reel save. Like, what's the context around it? We're not looking at that. We just want to be entertained. Absolutely. Goaltending evaluation needs to be quantified um, far more, far more elaborately. So um, in baseball, they have root efficiency, right? Uh, where you know you can look at how a fielder approaches a fly ball when they start moving off the off the hit, right? When they start, you know, do they wait till the ball reaches its sort of um, its apex, or are they moving a lot before that because they can sort of read it a lot more easily? Um, do they move sort of in a in a semicircle, or do they move more or less in a straight line? And with goaltending, that's possible, and it's possible to see when a goaltender is moving efficiently. It's possible to see when a goaltender they say he's ahead of the play, right? Uh, um, you know, he's he's beating a pass on his feet, right? So there's a lateral pass. And the goaltender is moving laterally, staying on his feet, and he's getting to the spot he needs to be to be on his angle line when the puck arrives on the stick. So then instead of being in motion for the next pass or whatever, the goaltender is stationary, which is where you want to be when you're making saves. And you can see all this, but it's very hard to quantify. So even something like ClearSight Analytics, um, they can say, okay, these three passes, you know, before the goal, usually, you know, uh, this will result in a goal if there's a shot on goal at all at the end. However, it, can't, it doesn't tell you how the goaltender moved to get there. Was the goaltender so slow that he didn't even make the move on the second pass and he was already standing there, right, to stop the third shot, the, you know, the shot on the third pass? Uh, and so the, the uh, quantification is necessary. And if it doesn't happen, then you get the whole either traditional idea of evaluating goalies, which is, wow, you know, look at him making that amazing reaching save. He's challenging way outside the paint. That's, that's brave, right? There's almost this like old school moral element of evaluating goalies where a goalie who gets out there and is courageous, right? And is flying around is a better goaltender than a goaltender who's just standing there letting the puck hit him and blocking, right? Which is like almost immoral. Uh, even Ken Dryden was almost making this argument, right? It's almost immoral if Vasilevsky can just go down an RPH and pucks hit him. Ugh. Yeah, and it's all about like, playing percentages and understanding how the game flows. And I, I understand that point of view. And like, I think one thing that people shouldn't take away from this is us saying that incredible saves are a bad thing. I don't think we're saying that it's just that if a goaltender is always making incredible saves and like all their saves look really acrobatic, they're probably being forced into emergency mode a lot more often than they need to be. Unless they're Dominic Hasek, then it's just art. Show me, show me the play. Show me the context, right? So give me a save. I hate paddle back saves, right? Where a goalie's beat on his glove side or he's faked. Then he reaches back with the paddle and it hits his paddle. Now, of course, oh, those, are, everyone loves those. I know. Everybody put them in the NHL those. games. It's the most yeah. overrated save in hockey because a goaltender in, in Adam, right? In Squirt will do that move because they, they overcommitted to their left. And there's nothing else to do, right? There's um, the goaltender who's able to like do a Vasilevsky and twist backward and catch the puck in the air. Wow, right? That's something, right? That's interesting. That, that's doing you know, more than you'd be expected to in that, that, that uh, situation. Um, but until the, sort of the evaluation moves forward on you know, the ways goaltenders move, then those paddle saves are going to be saves of the year, even though literally anyone could um, hold out their hand uh, and uh, have a puck hit their stick. Are you sure? Anybody? Because you can put me out yes. there right now and I'm not sure it's <laughs> happening. I'm not sure of that coordination. No, I think the saves like you see Vasilevsky making these crazy saves and you know how quickly he gets into a split and things like that. And I'm sorry, my terminology is definitely terrible, but mm-hmm. um, you know, those are the saves that I think are so outstanding too. And it does depend on the team in front of them and things like that. But like, there's so many cool goalie saves and, those 
get a lot of attention. A glove save can just be like a perfect sight too. And you know, like that needs to get as much appreciation. No, maybe it wasn't as desperate, but maybe it didn't need to be because they were that prepared for the shot coming in and they saw it through traffic or whatever's going on. They caught that perfectly cleanly. That's it plays over. Not everyone's flailing around and it's chaos, which is like something I'm super accustomed to watching because I watch very bad (laughs) defensive teams. This is true. I feel like, like, from a goaltending perspective, one of my biggest pet peeves when you see like people reacting on social media or even in person, if you're at the game or at a bar or whatever, is uh, like Caden Primo's save tonight. Uh, I think it was in the third period, kind of kept the game within reach. The big glove save on the Kreider. Ryan Strom, was it? Ryan, well, yeah, it was Ryan Strom. You're right. Right in the slot, yeah. right? The second attempt. Right? And when you watch the replay, like Primo doesn't really move his glove, right? And so you'll see people be like, oh, well, he shot it right into his glove because his glove was in the right spot. <laughs> right. And then from the flip side, you'll look at it, though, for Ryan Strom. This is a player who has had so many like gaffes where it's here's an empty net and he misses it. And that's something too. like, oh, of course, Ryan Strom couldn't get that one passed. He caught it and made it look so easy. And it's like, well, that one wasn't his fault. It was actually a quality chance that was made with the quality save. Like you need to look at it from both sides of it. But so often be like, oh, of course. Wasn't that good then? It was from off his stick, you know? Yeah. See, I like I like the both of you for this because you look at the context of the entire play. You don't just um, sort of cherry pick one instance and say, well, that was a bad thing. Like um, you would have been, if that goal had gone in, right? The announcers 100% would have said, Primo stayed too far back. He was almost on the goal line. He had time to move forward and get set, but he didn't. He stayed back. Now, look at the whole play. There's a ranger almost on the goal line, right? Who's like, who's right there who's a passing option, no one's covering him, right? So Primo can't just charge out, right? And ignore the pass threat or, you know, um, ignore the, the, he has to sort of, you can see him moving very slightly, right? In a very controlled ways um, because he's aware of the situation in its entirety and he's maximizing his chances of being able to stop the most likely shots and, you know, whether the shot's taken or whether it's passed. He doesn't, they call it selling out. He doesn't sell out on a shot and just glide out there and try to block the angle like they used to do in the eighties. Uh, he's evaluating the entire context of the situation and he makes an excellent positional save as a result. So it wasn't a super glove save. It wasn't a big windmill, but he was where he needed to be and he made the right play. Yeah. You can actually see on the replay that he goes into the splits to try to put his feet to the posts in case Strom decides to make a pass at the last second and try for the Ranger who is down on the left wing. Mm-hmm. So like, Aaron. Yeah. Like, and it's no, it's not nobody. Yeah, and if you nobody, did your, so. yeah, and if you did your scouting report, you know he's shooting the puck more the last couple games. He's coming in hot. He hasn't been, you know, this season as much. Here's a player who is on a roll, who will shoot. He showed it, showed it. You know, two goals, uh, I think, against Columbus and one against the Devils. You, you, you definitely know that going into it. You know it's Artemi Panarin, and if not, it's Kako who already scored once tonight. Like, yeah, so you have to be aware. I, it's one of those things where you're like when you get into the actual mentality and decision making process of the goaltender who they have to process so much information. Like I remember a friend of mine a couple of years ago who played not like pro hockey, but high level junior hockey showed me a bunch of still images of like a puck on a blade of a stick. And he's like, I know you played goalie when you were a little kid. Which way is the puck going on these shots? And I got like every single one wrong. <laughs> it's, like, like, they, it's like a pause video, right? And you like unpause and see where the puck goes in the net. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I wasn't very good, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't be either. It's okay. It's Some of us just aren't meant to. This is true. It's a lot easier when you're little, Andrew. 
because yes. uh, the, yeah, it because only goes the, along know, the ice. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was at a practice for my one of my um, youngest who's in hockey right now, and uh, I can tell the coach of the other teams told the their little goalie just lay down, just lay down <laughs> for the whole net. And that poor little kid laid down, and he got scored on nine times. Oh, it was this. It was oh a sad, oh, it was so sad. It was so sad. You just can't. It's not that easy. It looks that easy, but it's not. No, it's not easy. You can even even when you're that little. No, even when I play, like we'll play like mini hockey, and like I'll be like, I'm gonna play goal because I, I know it. I'm like, I got this, and you know, strap on like knee pads and stuff, and I sit there trying, and like it's hard to know, like <laughs> to be coordinated and be prepared with how you've ne- It's like. Obviously, I did not grow up playing goal. I did not have years of practice. I'm just a moron being like, I'm going to attempt this. It's fucking hard. And even if you have years of practice, now you look at it and you have, you know, five guys on the ice, most likely, who are coming at you with shots that can go up to 100 and, you know, nine miles per hour that they're just hammering at you. It's a frozen puck. Everyone's skating on knives, flying at you. Like, (laughs) everything's fine and normal. Like, it's not... Everyone will be like, oh, I could have saved that one. Oh, that was an easy one. Like, get out there and do it yourself. That's the thing. Like, we need it. We need every team to have, like, this built area that if anyone is talking too much shit, they can pinpoint people that they want to have to, like, get in goal for a night and just go up against, like, one or two NHLers, just taking a couple shots, going easy on them and be like, yeah, I didn't think so. Just so you can't, like, you can't talk shit unless you know and you don't. Like, it's definitely not that easy to stop to stop any shots coming their way. Yeah, it's it's a very, very difficult position. So I wanted to talk about one other thing, which is not necessarily super Canadians related, but involves a former Montreal Canadiens player and the Rangers. And that's been like all the talk of hockey Twitter today has been PK Subban uh, taking out Sammy Blaze for the season. And I think when you watch that actual replay, I feel like if it wasn't PK Subban, you probably give the player the benefit of the doubt, but PK has been leaning on the slew foot heavy this year. So everyone who's going after him right now, don't blame you one bit because this is the fourth suspicious or straight up slew foot that he's put on this season, including the preseason when he got Ryan Reeves and the face facts like PK's always loved the slew foot, right? He is definitely doing it more often now, but from the time he came into the league, it's definitely been a move that he's pulled out now and then. I wonder if it, like, uh, I know Tim Peel on Twitter talked about how, like, Subban's not a dirty player, and he told him it's just, like, a bad habit that's crept into his game. And people kind of went after Tim Peel for it. Uh, Former referee, for those who don't know. And I feel like what Tim is saying is true to an extent in that it is probably something that has crept into his game and become a bad habit more often because it's something that was already in his arsenal. But now the game is starting to pass him by at the same time. So when you're behind the play, you cheat more. And this, unfortunately, is one of Subban's cheats. Yeah, it's exactly that. You see his play slipping over the years and if you can't keep up, sometimes you, if, you know, people say if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And, you know, <laughs> sure. But this is a dangerous cheat. Though. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so I look at the Blay one and I think it's super easy. I look, I wouldn't give Suvan the benefit of the doubt, but not just because of this situation. Like, and that's just it. I don't truly think there was something malicious there. 
He clipped his skate. It's a really unfortunate result. It sucks for Sammy Blay to be knocked out for the rest of the season. And like you said, if there were any other player, this conversation probably wouldn't be happening. Ranger fans might be having it a little bit more because they saw it with Ryan Reeves, who did get injured as a result. And the next game, everybody saw Chris Kreider going after P.K. Subban because these New York Rangers don't get pushed around. They're so tough and all that shit. So, of course, they had to react to it. But the fact is, this is a player who didn't face anything from the league, you know, for the Reeves thing. Sure. Okay. Then you have it, I think, first was Zegris. Zegris came first? Okay. I think Zegris was like the first or second game of the year or something like that. Okay. Okay. And then uh, it was, you know, within a week or, you know, two weeks you have it with Lucic. The first one you could have suspended him for. At this point, or even if you gave him the fine, which the fines that they give are so small. I get it's the maximum allowable by the CBA. They're terrible. They need to work on that. Um, Because it doesn't make a dent and it doesn't make a difference for anybody. And you're just doing it so it looks like you're doing something to stop it. The second one, when it's days later and it's a dangerous trip or whatever they categorize it as, one was written, I think, as a trip and one is a dangerous trip, which both are dangerous if you're finding them for it. The second one, you look at it, you have to at that point and be like, look, we let you go on the Reeves thing. It gave you a fine for the other. It's clearly becoming part of your game and players are going to get hurt. And here it is that even if it wasn't malicious, a player did get hurt. So it it's a bad look for him but it shouldn't have gotten to that point because he probably should have faced more discipline after the second one in a row, because what are we doing here for not trying to make the game safer? So, yeah, but I think you're a hundred percent right. Shana, as much as Subban is a hundred percent to blame for the actual actions, the league not coming down on this kind of stuff is a huge, I'm trying to search for the proper word here and sound intelligent, but it, <laughs> it facilitates that kind of situation. Yeah. It facilitates those injuries, right? Because if you allow a player to get away with it time and time again, they're going to assume that they can get just either a two minute penalty or get away with it entirely and that it's not a big deal. And we saw it with Tom Wilson where they were handing out little slaps on the wrist and slaps on the wrist that it took like, what was it? A 20 game suspension before he finally started to ease up on the bad hits. And like, he's still Tom Wilson, but he doesn't do it as often. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important to make a distinction between malice and uh, carelessness. Yeah. But when you've been careless in a way that uh, ends up causing injury, ends up causing significant harm, then you can't really, that distinction ceases to matter. Yeah. So the Tim Peel thing, right? He's not basically saying he's not evil, right? He's not out there trying to hurt people. Fine. Uh, it could be a play in my playbook, right? That I, you know, occasionally if a guy gets in front of me, I find it really effective to spear him in the gut. Right. Well, I don't want to hurt him, but I know that stops him every time. And they don't always catch me, you know, so I spear him in the gut and he falls over and I get the puck. Well, I don't care how malicious you think you're being. Right? I don't care what your intention in that play is, even if it's just to take the puck or to get, keep up with the play. You have to start treating that like it's malicious. And another thing about the um, Shana, you made a good point about the fines. Um, if you've ever gotten a written warning. Right. So a verbal warning from a police officer really means nothing. Right. Like you're getting off. Yep. A written warning is like, okay, there's a record of this, right? And I think the fine should stand in that place. So the fine is nothing for most of these, for any of these players. But it's like, I've documented this offense. It has risen to the level of further discipline, you know, outside the game. So if the league were more willing to start, start that precedent where something's happened, we don't know if it was malicious, but 
it's it's bad and we do have a tool at our disposal, right? That's going to enable us to at least sort of have a record of this down, right? To, to sort of start, start the punitive process. That way you're not five or six of these in before the player has any sort of a record, right? Officially of these things happening. And I think that's where the league has to begin. Um, you can't just all of a sudden, this, this happened with Wilson, right? You can't all of a sudden just hit a guy for 40 games or 20 games because then the PA is going to come back and there's no precedent. But if you start building that case really early on and you start saying any dangerous play, you're going to at least get a fine, right? Start that process and then you have like a, a process that makes sense, that's properly documented, um, that, that works in increments like it's supposed to instead of um, having everyone in their minds, which is so subjective, build up, oh, well, you know, he's, he's not dirty. Well, maybe he's getting dirty. Oh, yeah, maybe he's dirty, right? That's ridiculous, entirely too subjective, and not something that you can sort of base uh, player discipline and player safety yeah. around. It's just, it's just incoherent. Yeah, and they really need to expand the definition of, like, their, I forget what they call it, the history. Repeat offender. Yeah, repeat offender, repeat offender right? Because yeah. even when they brought that in and they were talking about, like, I remember there was a big thing with Matt Cook because – he was a repeat offender, but like the different things that he'd done didn't count as being a repeat offender for that specific yep. thing. Cause like yep. one's a headshot and one's a spear. And it's like, but what? But like with Subban, this is four of the same thing. Even yep. if you give him a pass on the last one, it's four dangerous trips or three dangerous trips. It should never get to three before yeah, no. serious action is taken. The first one needs to be a fine. The second one needs to be a suspension. And I feel like, if you have a fine to start that record and you do something that requires supplemental discipline and it's the exact same thing, it needs to be a bigger suspension than if you'd done something that required a suspension that was something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Like you need to, it's not him doing three separate stupid things. It's within a month's time. Yeah. You have at least three dangerous trips. That's how they're categorizing it. So now they all line up and there it is. You have the same thing you're listing. It's a trip. It's a trip. It's a trip. You didn't say one's a slew, but you didn't. Say, you said they were a trip. So now they can be all categorized together as that repeat offender, like you said. So what's the purpose of doing this then? Are you punishing him? Are you trying to deter him from doing it in the future? Because now, like, where is this going to go from here? We saw in preseason, the Rangers responded the next game by kicking his ass because that's what they do now. The Rangers and Devils don't play each other for a while, so maybe things will die down by then. But guess what? Sammy Blay's still not going to be playing, so maybe the Rangers will still have their grudge. We know that's the whole mandate this year. But what if he does it to another player? You know, like, there's it just is going to keep building, and it's just going to get to a point. If everybody knows the league's not going to step in, then they're going to take it into their own hands, which is exactly what you're trying to get out of the game by having yep. a department of player safety. Yes, you don't want to take out fighting. We got that. No, you don't want to take out hitting. Like, we do understand that's still a thing going on right now. But are you asking for them to fight their own battles? You could look at the Capitals against the Rangers last year and the Tom Wilson thing. You know, you knew what was happening the following game because it wasn't handled. And then, you know, you knew it was going to continue. Everyone had it. Marquee night, opening night, Rangers, Caps. Everybody's watching. It's on national TV because you're anticipating it. Are, like, are you happy you're selling the game that way now? Because that's how it seems, even though you're saying you're not. So simply putting in stricter measures and tightening up those rules and being more aggressive with it and seeing if it works just as you will start calling more high sticks and more slashes because you don't want them to affect the game. It's the same thing, but now it's on a greater scale because you're trying to avoid serious injury that maybe you aren't seeing from a couple trips or a couple, you know, a couple slashes. But if you're seeing it, you know, 
here's a player that's out with a torn ACL. Maybe if Subban wasn't near it at all, it's a different play. You know, like yeah. it's even if it wasn't malicious, even if that one wasn't intentional, maybe had it been handled sooner, you're not in this position. So now you have a player hurt, a player probably going to get his ass kicked the next time he plays the Rangers because that's how it has to go. And then even though it shouldn't, it will because that's the team they are now. And then you're going to have it that it happens again this year. I'm sure in the next few weeks, we'll be seeing it. Like, what's the excuse then? Yep. I mean, we'll all be looking for it now, too, right? I mean, yeah. it's been pointed out. There's compilation videos all over social media. Yeah. It it he's should be on thin ice right now, at the very least. Uh, I would be shocked if the NHL does nothing. But at the same time, it maybe that's what's to be expected. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. But thank you so much for joining me, both of you. Uh, first, Shayna and then Paul, tell us, tell everyone where to find you and what you've got going on in the coming weeks here. You can find me on Twitter at Hey Shay with three Y's and three Y's. Um, I know I, I should change it and I haven't now. It's just it's here. It's stuck and it's very old and it's from high school. But like it's it's really not unique. I mean, that was like the thing then to do like, hey, and then your name. So whatever it is, what it is. At least you all know me by it now. Um, and you can find my writing at The Athletic and Sportsnet and Kentucky. And if you follow me on Twitter, you will see a bunch of things that I make that you can buy, like, you know, fun scrunchies and masks and ass wash and things like that. Because, you know, who among us doesn't need a bunch of scrunchies? You can support your favorite team with them, too. Awesome. Paul? Great. Um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, mostly, um, at way to go Paul. And if you remember where that comes from, you are truly a hockey Twitter um, veteran. Uh, it, it's fantastic. Um, and most of my stuff comes out at um, Ingold Magazine. Uh, and there, if you want to know, for example, what a goaltender is thinking uh, when a pl the play is coming down, we can speculate, but we actually have goaltenders there who sit down and go through video uh, and say, this is what I was thinking. These are the things I was considering. Um, this is why I did what I did. I wish I'd done it somewhat differently. So um, for all the voodoo that we sometimes talk about and all this sort of um, um, sort of charlatan analysis uh, that you get, hearing it straight from the horse's mouth from uh, goalie coaches and actual goaltenders in the situations clarifies uh, an incredible amount of what's happening um, out there on the ice for a goaltender. Uh, useful, obviously, for goalies and goalie parents and goalie fans, but um, even a casual observer of the game. If, if, if you're a broadcaster and you don't have a subscription to In Goal Magazine, uh, you're you're really missing out on an incredibly important aspect of the of the game, and you um, you know you can complain that you don't know goaltending very well. Well, there's an excellent resource, and go check it out. You don't have to live there, but if you just look at a few things, get the basics, you're going to be more educated than probably seventy five percent of um, <laughs> the, the hockey world. So that's that's my my plug there. Yeah, highly recommend reading both of these incredibly intelligent people. Thank you so much for joining me tonight and thanks everybody for watching. We'll see you again.